We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. This is still the Dane Moore NBA podcast. Before I get to my guest, Britt Robson, I wanted to share with you listeners that this podcast is no longer brought to you by ZoneCoverage.com. As of today, I no longer work for Zone Coverage Minnesota. Um, like millions of other Americans right now, I am unemployed. Uh, the, the economic realities brought on by the coronavirus situation uh, led Zone Coverage to let me go. Um, I don't want to and, and can't really go into all the details there, but... I'd like to make a few things clear to you. Uh, first and foremost, I'm not going anywhere. Uh, this podcast will continue on. I just independently own it now. What that means for me is that more of my attention will go into this show. What that means for you is more and hopefully better shows. We'll see what happens with the rest of the NBA season. Uh, but when next season rolls around, the current plan is to comprehensively cover the Minnesota Timberwolves via podcast. There will be more episodes than you're used to, and different types of episodes also. The, the long-form conversations you become accustomed to, like today's with Britt, those won't go anywhere. But if the Wolves do miraculously beat Jimmy Butler in the Miami Heat on a Tuesday night, now you can expect an instant reaction pod the next morning on your way to work. With my prior writing responsibilities, that was something I couldn't provide in the past. I guess just what I'm trying to say is that I'm excited to go all in on this show and, and bring more to it. As far as my writing goes, that's up in the air. I guess I'm a free agent, as they say. For the same reason I lo no longer have a job with own coverage, uh, it's just going to be tricky in the sports writing field for a while. I I'd like to say I'll be back writing about this team for a new outlet next season in some sort of full-time capacity, but I don't know. Uh, that's, that's largely out of my control. In the meantime, um, I'm very thankful for the opportunity Kyle Tige and the crew at Canis Hoopus and SB Nation are providing me with a platform to write. I'm going back to my blog boy roots there. If there 
are more regular season Timberwolves games this year or if we jump straight into the offseason mode. Um, either way, you'll be able to find my writing at com to preempt uh, maybe some of the questions you might have of what can I do to support the show. The answer is the same as it's always been. It's just just listen and, and share it with your friends. I guess ratings and reviews on iTunes are also helpful. There will, there will come a time uh, for me to attempt to independently monetize this show, but that won't be until I have more clarity on what the NBA looks like going forward. I don't want to start a Patreon or anything like that until I know that there is Timberwolves content to provide you. But uh, yeah, don't worry. You'll, you'll hear from me when the time is right on that. For now, just, um, just please keep listening. That's all I ask, uh, that this podcast has become a staple for many of you. Uh, that means a lot to me. I got into covering this team because I hope there was a niche of Timberwolves fans who craved this type of content. Uh, to be able to do this show the way I want to do it and to have you all come along has felt like a major accomplishment for me. So thank you for that. I think in this new step in my career, it's only going to allow me to, to dig further into that niche to, to get to know all you better. I look forward to finding additional ways to, to interact with you. When the NBA is back and it's safe to get together, well, let's let's do that. Let's do a live show, and I'll have a beer together. Until then, just know that this is still the Dane Moore NBA podcast, and we're going to keep turning on some podcasts. So my first guest is Britt Robson. Joining me now via Zoom, and I see it's on your wife's computer, Britt. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> Robbie, how are you? What's, uh, what's going on? Um, how's life without basketball treating you? Well, I mean, you know, I'm, uh, there are uh, a lot of people that have it worse than I do, you know. So I, I think that in general, we have our son living with us. Uh, he was born prematurely and has uh, about a 15% diminishment in his lungs. He lives about a third of, the, third of a mile away. And uh, once this thing began to get real about two months ago now, uh, we asked if he would mind uh, coming in with us since he lives on his own otherwise. And he goes home to feed his cat. My wife is allergic to cats, so he's able to bounce back and forth. Um, and just in general, uh, you know, watching television, um, listening to a lot of music. Uh, occasionally, you know, the refried sports uh, that aren't usually, uh, you know, I usually know what's happened. So uh, I've never been a great sports fan for liking that unless it's something I was immediately going to turn around writing-wise. I mean, I, I watch Timberwolves games twice, usually in the course of a season, but um, when it comes to seeing something from, you know, 1989 or something or, you know, 2006 or pick a date, uh, it's it's hard for me to get excited. Yeah, it's I've had a similar experience where I, I kind of – find it um novel and just kind of noticing how different the basketball is like i watched the old the timberwolves versus mj game that they re-aired yeah and like another even celtics game you know from the you know the kg era then and it's just crazy to see you know how different basketball looks to what you know we're so accustomed to and is second nature now it's like we have this idea in our head of oh yeah like they're shooting more threes now but to really watch a full game of it is it's just been, I guess, a bizarre experience, and I didn't think it was going to be as different as it was. And you know what that I have noticed um, is that you would think that the ball movement might be less because they're shooting threes, but the ball movement actually is greater than it was in the past. Uh, it just 
just skipping around like no no dribble. It's like like right. the live dribble pass has really been an addition to the modern game too. Like I think we, we just think about the three, but it, it's the passing on the move. It's just so much more stationary if you go back to the nineties. Machinations to get to a post up are totally gone now. I mean, this exactly. whole idea that you set picks to set somebody up for a post shot uh, just kind of looks bizarre now because the <laughs> post is going to be there most of the time because you're spacing the floor with threes, you know? So right, it, right. it's a weird uh, – the defense is interesting too. I mean, you know, the uh, – I think – Center by the rim. Slightly less contact, but there's not as much – this whole idea that, you know – uh, back in my day, you know, uh, we used to club people wantonly and there was no problem uh, is kind of overrated. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of little physical stuff that happens now. And uh, physicality is still a big part of the game, I think. So, um, yeah, I agree that there are, you know, my, my take on everything. I've been watching basketball since uh, literally since the 1960s. And um, every era has good things and bad things about it. And it's still basketball. I mean, you know. I would not want to pick what one is my favorite or not favorite. I used to love the Mookie Blaylock, uh, uh, you know, the guy from Stacey Augman backcourt for Atlanta that uh, yeah. was kind of like the pinnacle of the no scoring NBA, you know, where the, the games were 188 to 85 or something. And uh, people were really bitching about um, the idea of how the NBA, you know, they don't allow scoring anymore. Um, and I've always been a defensive guy anyway, but uh, the point being is that every every era has something good and something bad about it. So uh, yeah, that's good perspective. Um, I guess sort of speaking of that, you've been watching since the '60s and you've been covering uh, the Timberwolves for 30 years. And so I, I kind of, as I mentioned to you right before we got on here, I did a little recording before and just uh, the you know the change that I'm going through right now in in changing. Um, who I'm going to be working for. Yeah. And sorry I just know, yeah. You know, it's, it's really, it is all right. I'm excited about, um, about taking new steps, but you know, I, I think about just from conversations you and I have had of the, I mean, you've told me the litany of magazines or random websites that you've written for that I haven't even hadn't even heard of, you know, dating, sure. dating back to the nineties and stuff. So I guess I kind of hold a little bit of solace in that, that is like, you know, it's just sort of, it's just, par for the course kind of here and, and quite frankly I understand it in you know in this time this economic economically challenging for for media outlets but it's also um impacted you and I know you've kind of shared on Twitter that you've been furloughed by the athletic but maybe for any of uh, you know the listeners here who who read you do you have like any sort of professional update I guess you know for yourself <laughs> on, <laughs> on on what that I mean, means for you I've lived a charmed life I mean, that's always the way I start just about any description of what's going on in my life right now is that uh, I was born a white male in the United States of America in 1953, which is winning the lottery like seven or eight different ways. And uh, I turned 67 in June. And so if need be, if push really came to shove, I could claim my social security now and have a, a decent amount of money coming in there. I've got other things, I have always lived very frugally, so uh, you know I've got a little bit of money saved up. I'm not rich, but I'm not broke. Uh, and you know uh, I'm a baby boomer. You know we stole all the money from everyone else in the economy, and we're <laughs> fine, and no one else is. Uh, so I mean, so a lot of that comes into play 
when you're asking me how I'm doing. Yeah. Uh, I miss being able to write about stuff more than I miss being paid for it, quite frankly. Um, and I miss uh, the other thing I used to do with the bulk of my time in terms of writing was uh, when I wrote about music, a lot of it was previewing concerts that were coming to town. So that's another thing that isn't happening anymore. Um, I've begun to find a lot more work in music off and on um, since just in the last month or so. Actually, uh, uh, letting people know that I was furloughed on Twitter, had a couple of people give me a call that I would not have otherwise probably gotten. So it remains a fairly charmed existence. Uh, I'm not making a lot of money. I'm making maybe 30% of what I was making before, which wasn't a lot of money. Um, the athletic, uh, the position on the athletic is they'd love to have me back when they can. I just think that they, they paid a lot of big names, some really big money. And uh, I think that, uh, there's not a great incentive. I mean, as good as all those names are, until there's live sports, it's hard to justify the freight. I mean, it's not a lot of money, like I said. So, but I guess what I'm saying is the athletics business model is troubled right now, I would guess. And so I would well, guess that there'll, there'll be a period of uh, shaking out even after things get back to normal before somebody like me is brought back because they have the money committed to the guys who are on salary. Uh, I was never offered salary. I probably wouldn't have taken salary because I like being a free agent uh, and always have. Um, but with that comes risks. And one of the risks is that they may not be able to bring me back when things start to move on, at least until they begin to show, you know, some kind of thing back in their profit margin. And if that happens indefinitely, uh, and there's someone else around that wants me to write about the wolves, I would entertain that. I mean, I, I'm, I love the athletics. They did, they did nothing but write by me during the time I was there. Um, and they, I, I said, you know, in exchange for not getting a lot of money, I wanted to be able to write about what I wanted to write about when I wanted to write about it and have it hit the page on a relatively quick turnaround. And they wanted all of those things. So uh, I, like I said, I have absolutely no, no problems with the athletic. Uh, you know, the upper management said some, you know, stupid things early in their, you know, tenure <laughs> about uh, things that I was free to criticize. That's one of the things it, about not being on staff. But it's interesting in terms of our how, relationship, it's good. Go ahead. It, it's interesting, kind of, you, you bring up the whole model, and it's kind of like a like a microcosm for our time of the athletic. Obviously, I don't know all the details, but the athletic is so, even still in his pubescent stages, so it's so venture capitalist reliant right to stay you know buoyant right and and that's just what you know on a, a big sort of economic scale across you know across all industries is we're going to those venture capitalist companies are so reliant on the investments that they have the stock markets they have and so when you think about the economy and the hit it's going to take in this it's it just becomes uh you know the the amount of money they literally have to invest is less it is less. So it's just, it's going to be, I mean, in much more important realms than sports writing, it's just going to be interesting to see, like, that's kind of how I'm seeing and maybe selfishly seeing the ripple effect of all of this is that the rich people, the venture capitalists are just going to 
probably become more diligent with where they are choosing to, you know, in, invest that money. And that's not to say that the athletic can't be, um, you know, a, a high level investment, but you, you know, you think about it and what, like, what do we always say about the journalism industry? It's like, man, pretty tough to turn, you know, turn a profit. So it'll just be kind of interesting to, to track sort of how the stock market impacts companies that are so reliant on external investment. Yeah. And, and whether or not the economy can even come back in a, in a reasonable form in the near future without a vaccine. Um, my opinion of people, and I have money in the stock market, I don't have a lot, but you know, you get to be my age, you, you know, save up some money for a long time. It was the way to increase your money uh, most significantly. Um, but my opinion of the stock market has always been that it's a combination of wishful thinkers and herd mentality. So uh, when people want to get revved up, they can talk each other into you know ridiculous uh, bubbles. And you know we've seen a couple pop in the last couple of year, last couple of decades. Um, but I think that the coronavirus is um, the virus runs the economy, not vice versa. And um, the economy will not come back until the virus is tamed enough to a critical mass of consumerism uh, to make everybody feel okay about their financial future and their uh, mental, physical health. Uh, so I think we're so far away from that, that, uh, you know, what is going to happen in the stock market? It just, it, I guess what I'm saying is it makes me laugh when I see that, you know, the unemployment figures and all this other stuff comes in and then the stock market is rallying because of some index <laughs> that, you know, just went up in the last month and they just, you know, they're not seeing past their nose and, you know, everybody's trying to make their commissions on buying and selling anyway. But the point also is, is that they just want to keep, they want to stay excited in their own little field, which is fine. But, you know, I mean, it's always, there's always been a childish aspect to the stock market behavior that, um, I've, I've found uh, alternately cute and disgusting. <laughs> um, I guess it, this obviously all ties into to basketball, you know, which is obviously more so our areas of expertise. You're more, more well-versed on in right. politics than I am. But um, I guess what are, you know, what are your, I guess what are your hopes in, in regards to basketball returning, I guess for the Wolves specifically, and then just kind of the, the league at large? I hope they return in um, probably the middle of winter in 21. Um, I think the idea of finishing the season, I can see, put it this way, if they want to roll things out, I hope they roll things out for a playoff. That way there are fewer teams, fewer people at risk, more manageable in terms of how things work out, less chance for something egregious to happen that uh, casts a pall on uh, the opening of a season after that. I mean, if some player, you know, God forbid, gets this and dies for whatever reason, um, you know, that's a whole precedent thing that uh, you really begin to, there's a lot of bad things that can happen is all I'm saying. Now, let's just boil it down to that. Uh, the idea of things coming off without a hit 
or without some real problems versus the idea that there are no problems, I think the percentages are very, very highly in favor of bad things happening whenever things open. Uh, and so let's wait a little bit more. Uh, let's see if uh, what most of the experts scientifically imagine is going to be a second wave in late fall, early winter. Let's see if that happens. So last thing in the world we want is for there to be a spike in cases again as the NBA starts to get going. Um, I think we have to take the long view on this. Um, and I, I think the idea of, of starting a season in front of empty arenas and, and uh, trying to figure out how to make it all work, um, you know, is, is not practical. I, it, it's weird kind of like there's just so many different segments of this, right? With, you know, if we're just talking about the NBA and we think about the Wolves, you know, it's like, yeah, I guess it would be good to, to get back and have the guys playing from, you know, that camaraderie standpoint, experience standpoint. But it just – it simultaneously seems so silly to to get them to play six games, you know, just to hit a – you know, like – I mean, we we are very familiar with game sixty three through game seventy of right, right. of the of the wolves, and it's just like they don't matter. I mean, they don't matter really. And and uh -huh. I mean, how? Yes, like I I love basketball. You love basketball. Fans love basketball, and we we would tune in and watch. But it's it just kind of weighing the. <laughs> so we're doing that to get to around seventy games for playoff and lottery purposes. And then to get to a certain threshold for the regional sports networks um, and just to make some more money. It, and it just is, I don't know. I think there's just it, team to team. It, it makes more or less sense for me, for like the wolves or for the, you know, the, the 10, 14 teams in the league who just, their games are irrelevant for competitive balance purposes. Right. It just, it just all, it all seems kind of silly. That said, I'd be lying if I, if I said I wouldn't welcome the distraction. Oh, I would, I would definitely, uh, I would be excited. I would be pleased in my own little world. Uh, I get to do what I want to do again, which is watch NBA basketball live without knowing the outcome. And, um, <laughs> and also having all kinds of, you know, curious things to think about, to, to uh, imagine that all of a sudden, oh, you know, uh, how does this, you know, how do these pairings work or what's going to happen in terms of how they negotiate the money or, you know, all these, there are millions of, how is this going to affect the salary cap uh, next year as a result of these games moving forward? Where are the playoffs going to be? You know, when are there certain places where you could bring in a limited number of people? And if so, would that create an unfair home court advantage? Um, but most immediately for me, uh, the first thing I think of when I think about the Wolves coming back to basketball is does Carl Anthony Towns want to play basketball oh, right that's now? That's a good point. I mean, that's the first thing I think of. He lost his mother to this thing. Uh, and despite what anybody believes, there is, we're not even close. No state that is opening, reopening right now is followed the CDC guidelines, uh, even Trump's plan three guidelines from March 
nothing is is on the on the books in terms of either a steady, sensible plan. Now, I will say, having said that, that um, the Mayo Clinic is is leading these testing things with the NBA. Uh, my kind of colleague John Krasinski reported on it recently. Uh, you know that, uh, and and I have great confidence in guys like Robbie Sika in the front office. The Wolves are a really smart organization all of a sudden. And, uh, you know, it, it it's a, such a far cry. I mean, you could see Tibbs, you know, being among the guys with the red hat on, uh, beeping his horn and causing traffic at the stop in Michigan or something, <laughs> versus these guys who are, you know, essentially people who are, uh, you know, they, they know what's going on. And I think that if, if Cat has any desire to sit it out, I think they will encourage him to do that. And selfishly, that again puts a big question mark on this franchise, you know, that has had uh, D'Lo and Cat play one game together. Uh, so, again, um, yeah, it would just be kind of soft benefits, right? The, yeah. the the distraction is good, you know. And yet, there, there. I'm not saying there wouldn't be good things, but you know, simply doing the pros and cons list. Um, I just feel like so many of the pros for the Wolves specific help the league more than they help the Wolves. You know right. what I'm saying? And and then, yeah, you throw in the Carl factor, and it's just like, Jesus, what are we doing here? You know, like, um, I I don't know. It, I, quite frankly, I'm I'm torn on it because, cause, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's hard to not have your selfish desires and, you know, motivations in the – in the process for it too, because I miss it. I mean, and there's, uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with acknowledging that you want to be selfish. You know, you've mentioned the word selfish a couple of times now. And, um, you know, you're, you're, you just turned 30 or something and yeah, you're out of work, good. you know, <laughs> be a little bit selfish under that circumstance. You know I mean? You've got, you've got some shit to bear right now. And so, uh, I don't think, you know, everybody has a point. This is not fun for anybody. Nobody yeah. wants the economy to stall. Nobody wants to see vulnerable people get, you know, sick and die. Uh, there's a lot more common agreement than what this polarized political atmosphere would indicate. You know, despite sure. these angry few, a very, very healthy majority of people do not want to risk themselves in a quote-unquote normal economic environment now because it isn't normal and it won't be for quite some time uh that said you know if you don't have empathy for people with not a lot of resources who are out of work you know whether they're small business owners or people in the service economy or people who are being forced by asshole politicians to decide whether or not they want to risk their health or be denied unemployment benefits you know all of that all those people deserve great empathy i think um, but all that said, it gets back to, uh, playing sports is not an essential activity. You know, Florida may think that wrestling is essential, but it's not. And so, uh, let's see what counts. Let's protect people who have to take care of people who get sick, um, and open responsibly when we can. Uh, I have faith that uh, guys like Robbie Sika and Gerson Rosas um, understand they will put the players' safety first if they can. Um, and 
I think of, of most of the NBA teams, I got to think the Wolves probably have the least incentive of any NBA team uh, <laughs> to come back, yeah, you know, yeah, for a I, variety of reasons. It might be and, last. Uh, some of them good and some of them unfortunate. Uh, so, um, you know, I continue to believe that there will not be NBA in the 2019-2020 season. Um, but if there is, uh, I'll be in with both feet because I will also be many, many <laughs> um, miles away. So, so let's let's talk about this from the the perspective of when they get to the off season, whether that's the next relevant thing the Wolves do, or if it's after six or seven games, whatever it may be. How I, I do yeah. think we can still have you know, a big picture conversation about the Wolves offseason. Yes, we have the questions about the the salary cap and, and, you know, obviously the Carl, that that's, that's a weird and difficult and big variable in all of this, but there is going to come a time in this summer slash fall slash winter where we are talking about, you know, the, the free agencies of Malik Beasley and Juancho Hernan Gomez that are now going to exist in a different free agency market than before. We are going to talk about, Having, I mean, the Wolves have the third pick, but I mean, the third pick, the They're 16th in the pick. They're in a major way, right? In the in a major way. I mean, the draft is going to be very meaningful, and then that, you know, you kind of trickle that down into what they what they do with Malik and Wancho, what they do with those picks. I think is going to have a major bearing on Josh Okogie and Jarrett Culver, and kind of the more maybe not core core pieces, but pretty yeah. big parts of this team yeah, so I'm, I'm i'm ready i'm i'm anxious to talk about that stuff i think it you know you've been doing great work you know i i see that you're uh throwing your oar in the, the draft, water man. all the time now you know you're putting up stuff um it's been you're fun actually I've never... watching collegians which i think is a bridge too far myself but that's okay <laughs> no it, it's really cool i think th- this is what i i like about because you and i are similar in this way where we don't watch college basketball during the year so so the the great part of it is that i have no preconceptions whatsoever I, I literally go into every one of these prospects with a completely blank slate I don't read about college I don't anything like you know you kind of hear like whatever on Twitter or something yeah. but it's just I'm intentionally staying away from any sort of content on That's it a good idea. So, I, so I just watch all these guys and you know a lot of the times what my opinion on them ends up being um, mirrors you know what the experts are saying yeah but but it's it's also kind of crazy to me sometimes to see how different um you know my opinion is and i and i feel i feel warranted in my opinion because <laughs> i've got no shortage of time and i'm literally watching every single possession of these exactly. guys so it's honestly it's i've had fun and i if i'm being honest like, i think i'm going to start doing it every year i don't all know right. how the timing will work but well good it's, you know uh, you're an all-purpose writer that way some <laughs> of the you know some of the nba writers you know i mean first of all you already know the salary cap so that's really good. That's a strength. Um, and then knowing, you know, the collegians is also more about the salary cap, but there's still some times where I've written something and you've told me a little while later, <laughs> Hey, wait a minute. I don't think that's right. So, you know, uh, it's tricky. I, I do think that, um, it's good to write about what, you know, and I, my position on the college draft has always been that, uh, wake me up when they have a player so that I don't have to watch 75 players and and then have one guy <laughs> be the guy that I'm suddenly supposed to focus on. That just strikes me as a tremendous waste of time um, because I don't think the collegiate game necessarily translates to 
the pro game all that well. And I do think there are a million variables, who gets picked, when they get picked. Uh, and that's a whole cottage industry. And there's a lot of people who, you know, obviously get caught up in it. Um, and I don't mind even talking about that. I prepped a little bit, but only because I, I read uh, uh, John Hollinger's yeah. column, who as a guy I really admire as somebody who, who does cover the waterfront. Ian Zacklow are two of my favorite writers and they both do that kind of stuff. They're all purpose writers. Uh, I tend to just like to focus on, you know, the games we watch and the team I cover. Um, but I'm ready to talk about it. I'm ready to talk about what I think the Wolves need, cool. um, how they go about it. Uh, you know, anything you want to talk about, uh, let's go. Well, let, let's just let's move down through it. So we got we got Cat and D'Lo, the, yes. the known commodities. The I nailed... Kat, yeah, I think you have to say Cat, D'Lo, and Malik. I don't think that's – I think that's like a 90% certainty. Sure, but you got – I mean, Cat and D'Lo are literally under contract and Malik isn't. Like Right, okay. I mean, there's. Want to be technical about it. I, I'm just, I'm just saying. I, I think, I think people are all have totally moved into that camp where you're saying. And I know, you know, Malik has been a public figure in the off season. You know, the Wolves and 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 all those sort of things. And I've, this is no sort of sourced material or anything like that. But I don't think it's impossible that he winds up on a different team. We don't know what the variables are of the market. Like, yes, in theory, like less money out there to be spent makes it so there's fewer teams who can go spend the money on him. Right. But it's, it's always a case of there's a price point where you don't choose to exceed it. And I was thinking about it in John's article this week with D'Angelo Russell. And now we've seen, we've seen that number a few times um, in reporting where the wolves offered Russell four years, $107 million rather than his full max, which was four one seventeen. And, and I don't know what exactly that portends to the Malik Beasley situation, but it might, it might be that they do draw lines in the sand of this is, this is the upper end of where we will go with this. And quite frankly, I think that's, that's a logical approach to negotiations. You know, I don't, I don't think they can say, you know, Malik, Malik, no matter what that said, I, I do, I do think how everything plays out that we, that he is the third most known commodity of the bunch, but I, I could see it going in different directions. And then with Wancho a little bit, you know, less likely. You agree with that? I think a lot less likely. Yeah. Uh, but, I, uh, you know, but then again, I'm not a Wancho guy. Gerson Rosas talks about Wancho with more affection than I would have. Uh, but then again, he runs the team and I don't. So uh, <laughs> there is a chance that, you know, uh, than him. Um, so, I just don't, I think a, a front court, if you are marching into a season, an NBA season with a front court of Juancho Hernan Gomez and Carl Anthony Towns, you are not serious about contending. Well, that that's a whole other can of worms um, <laughs> because I'm not sure. I don't know how serious they will be about contending um, next season. My stance has always been that it's two years run up to 2021 is when they're trying to Okay, so how does Juancho Hernan Gomez help you in the following season? It seems like a, a bad, roll. bad placeholder. Yeah, a, a placeholder that falls into a bench role. I'm playing devil's advocate. I mean, I think right. I'm more more in line with you. I mean, I, now I, I think they've deviated from this some, but we know the, the first thing Gerson was telling us right at the beginning of his tenure was one guard, three wings, one big, right? Right. And, 
And I think Malik and Wancho both fit into that three wings um, bin, even even if Wancho's ostensibly the you know power forward. And and then it, it's just that is the area, the three wings part of it, from shooting guard to power forward, is the is the part that they're going to need to define this offseason. And we can put Malik in, in there. And so now, okay, we have one. See what happens with Wancho. But now you have these two first-round picks. And if you're going to use one or both of those on a wing, now we get to the point where how expendable are Jarrett Culver and Josh Okogie? You obviously need more wings, but it would be somewhat bizarre, I think, to have both Josh Okogie and Jarrett Culver coming off of the bench next year. Do you agree with that? I agree. But I also think that um, Gurdon, and I call him on this all the time, he fudged his defensive expectations after he made this trade. Uh, it used to be you know, top 10 uh, to be a, a playoff team and top five on both sides of the ball to be a contender. Um, now he's saying, you know, good net, you know, really, uh, I think what he's saying is top three or four offense and slightly middle of the pack, maybe slightly lower than middle of the pack defense. Sounds um, like the Houston Rockets. Well, except that the Houston Rockets know how to play defense, even if they don't have people that can play defense. Fair. The Timberwolves don't. Um, the Timberwolves, Currently. whether or not uh, – David Vanterpool failed or whether or not they pulled the plug on him because uh, the personnel weren't able to uh, do what they, everybody originally agreed was the way to go at the beginning of the season is a moot point this stage. Um, all I know is after the trading deadline, the Wolves were 29th in the NBA in defense and that's without towns on the floor for anything but just two games. And he supposedly was the guy, you know, he was the mulligan. He was the guy that you had to say, well, we, you know, he's on the floor and that's why you're bad on defense. Well, suddenly they were bad on defense without town. They could have used um, so, yeah, so my point is, if you're going to talk at all about a serious rebuild uh, and your first thing is to say, well, we got to throw the two defensive oriented wings overboard. Uh, <laughs> Then you have to start to think, well, wait a minute, yeah. you know, how are we going to get D'Angelo Russell, Malik Beasley, and Carl Anthony Towns, or if you want, don't put Beasley into that conversation yet. How are we going to get D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns to play defense in a manner that is even remotely average NBA? And if you can't come up with that, then you damn well better start to uh, draft and and strategize on the basis of getting stops from other people in other ways, which is why I am not opposed to breaking that, uh, you know, one wing, I mean, one big one, one point, and then uh, three wings. Give me, you know, a guy, you know, Hollinger likes this guy, I think it was Paul Reed, I think yeah. his name is, or, uh, um, he says he can guard one through five and can be a potentially all defensive player. Well, if, if that guy is a power forward, it sounds to me like a younger, cheaper Rocco, uh, you know, sign me up, you know, if, <laughs> if, if we can get that with the, with the pick, you know? Um, yeah. It, see, so this is where I think the complexity comes in. And I, 
I'm not suggesting to throw both Culver and Kogi overboard. It's more the idea of having both of them. I think, I think having, I think they have to have one elite point of attack defender in the starting lineup. I agree. Like I, I think, unless they're able to get one in the draft, um, I think Josh Okogie has to start next year and play twenty four minutes a game next to D'Angelo Russell. So okay, I, I, I think that's revealing because uh, this is actually one of the things uh, since we haven't been on together in two months and um, I know the way you think. I thought that uh, we would probably be talking about Okogi or Culver. Uh, and I would take Okogi over Culver. But I think there's a really interesting case to be made either way. Um, and what's so, the, what's uh, the case yeah. with Culver? Just for you know, Culver's for the got size that Okogi doesn't have. Okogi plays bigger than his size, but Culver has the size, and you know he's a year younger. Um, they, I, I, I pulled up the player comparison finder on basketball reference and looked at their rookie season. This, this is my. Let me push back on the size because you know this is one of my favorite areas. Of, well, yeah, it's so you have Jerick Culver who's six foot seven in shoes, six nine wingspan. You have Josh Okoge who's six foot four, so three inches shorter, but his wingspan seven feet. Plus, mm-hmm. Josh Okoge weighs thirty pounds more than Jerick Culver. Yes. So currently, I don't even think it's fair to say that Jerick Culver has size on Josh Okoge. His block rate is fairly high, fairly higher. I and and I'm not even. I actually kind of like Culver as a defender. I think right. though, he unless he also he is, gets to the rim better, for sure. Yeah. Um, I don't. I'm wondering how many different positions Jarrett Culver is going to be able to defend, if he's going to be able to defend the bigger threes in the league or not. And I think we've seen that Josh Okogie can do some of that. Um, I think he can guard one through three fairly competently. And I mean, the, the, just the issue is the, the idea, like, it'd be great. Well, let's keep both of them. They're both good defenders and we need more, you know, front facing defenders on this team. But it's, it's the concept. And I think that has been all but totally ruled out is that the two of them cannot play together, given that they can't, that would be two of five players who can't shoot. Well, one of the one of the fun things about the total dismantlement of the Wolves roster, you know, fifty games into the season or whatever, was playing up comps on the Wolves, <laughs> yeah. um, and and I did that, and I had uh, the 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 top two players were Cat and Okogie, five hundred eighty three mm-hmm. minutes. They played more than any other ten. Their net rating is minus three one. Second was Cat and Culver, five hundred sixty eight minutes, only fifteen minutes less, uh, and the net rating was one plus one point five. Uh, so for whatever reason, now obviously there's different. Mm-hmm. There's three other guys on the floor that entire time. Although it is interesting to note that Okogie and Culver played right. the third most minutes uh, of any two player combination because they were the only ones left. At a 434, that net rating is minus 8.8. I mean, they have a the offensive rating of 1026 versus 113.8 Cat Culver, 112.7 Cat Okogie. 
obviously having cat in the mix <laughs> makes a little bit of difference when two guys right. can't shoot. But um, the point being is I'm, I'm ratifying your point that it's very, very hard to put those two guys on the floor unless you really yeah. just want to burn the pace Good point. and press all the time. I think if you burn pace and press, you might be able to get away with it a little bit. Um, I thought it was but, interesting that they didn't do it even during the you know the fourteen right, during the non cat time. Right. Yeah, you know that that was I guess that was informative to my opinion that that's not something Ryan's going to be doing next year. Which now when we're just talking about lineup combinations, assuming that it's just going to be hard to get both of those guys on the floor for either of them on the floor for 24 minutes a game if they can't ever be on at the same time as the other guy. And maybe, to your point, you're right. Maybe there is some fudge room to be had there, but I would just be concerned about banking on that. The devil's argument, you know, is that they're 21 and 22 years old, and they are both really, really hard workers. And um, Okogi took a huge step forward his second season in terms of rebounding. You know, his weak side rebounding uh, was elite for a, a wing. Um, I think Culver is capable of that type of improvement, that type of thing where he, he notices something in his game that he can exploit better. Uh, if I were the coaches, I would be working on Culver's handle and encouraging him to get to the cup a lot more. Um, For sure. And drawing fouls. Now, that's where the is was the free throw line. You can't shoot 45% under any circumstances, really. Um, the only guys who are allowed to get away with 50 to 60% free throw shooting are rim protectors. Um, because you're in there for a very specific thing. Um, you can't be a wing player and, and shoot as badly as Culver shot. And I think that may hurt his trade value uh, in the off season if the Wolves do decide to move him. Um, I think the fact that he was taken sixth overall versus 20th overall, that kind of stuff does make a difference, um, you know, in terms of Darko was still able to get teams to pick him up because he was the second overall pick. I swear if he was the 25th overall, pick, <laughs> everybody would have left him alone. Um, um, so anyway, what do you with, think? Well, with a Kogi to, to the other side of the shooting argument on yeah. it here is, is Culver's Culver's three point shooting did improve over the, yes. the final, the final stretch of the season. Um, and, but and we now don't need Kogi, that as much anymore. His three point shooting. Yeah, I mean, kinda. You you need him to be a guy that isn't left wide open. Um, I think if you have Cat Beasley and D'Lo on the floor, you're going to be fine. You can space the floor, sure. and then if you have a guy who can really get to the rim a lot, um, that's fine. I mean, look at how open Okoki is all the time. You know. So, so he Over's this is the open. This is my favorite stat that I found in quarantine is that right. um, there's 190 players who took over 100 catch-and-shoot three-pointers this year. Okogi is the worst? Okogi is 190th. Uh-huh. Last, 20, 26.6%. Right. And then Jarek Culver is 181st at, I think it's 29.8%. And, and 
It's kind of like the real box plus minus on defense where like the Wolves had three <laughs> yeah. players in the bottom 10 one time. Well, and it's also, uh, so Okogie's 190th, 189th is Trevion Graham. All right. <laughs> so, it's, so it's like literally, I mean, we don't, I guess we, they have like nowhere near, Cat has had nowhere near competent uh, shooters around him th- this season while he was playing there. But but my, my point kind of more so is with the Kogi is at what point do we say stop? At what point do you say you're Tony Allen? Like, and and we're not, uh, well, not going to shoot five of these. Ever since, and, and by the way, if, if you're going to say, oh, poor Cat, who's the guy that is constantly telling Okogi to shoot? It's Carl Anthony on. Towns. Okogi oh. says every time he turns around, Cat keeps telling me to shoot. These guys have <laughs> faith in me. I'm going to keep shooting because they keep telling me. I heard him say that in the middle of his rookie year, and I said, that's got to stop. I mean, it didn't take yeah. a genius. Anybody who watches basketball knows that if Josh Okogi is loading up, the other team is just applauding it. I mean, you know, <laughs> I mean, come on. He's yeah. awful and always has been awful. Uh, it just, he's, he remains incredibly likable because he does so many other things well. But shooting-wise, he's not even very good on layups when he's got the entire court ahead of him and one guy to beat. You know, I mean, he needs to crash the boards, get offensive rebounds. He needs to drive and dish when he can drive at all possible. And when they start moving the ball around, then he's the third pass in the around the horn, and he's wide open, he needs to make the fourth pass. If he does that, all that will work out better. It, I didn't, I just think that that's like at best a fifth starter on your team, probably more desirably uh, your, your defensive sub off the bench who, you know, comes in in that. In a vacuum, yes. But when you have three, I would say, way above average offensive players, none of whom can play defense, then he may be a very important fourth starter because he's a wing stopper. You know, I mean, what's the, if, if, if the James Hardens and the, uh, you know, the other elite wing players of the world get 38 on you, but 27, if Okogie's in the game, well, there's three or four buckets right there. Right. No, that's a good point. It, it is the, what to do on the wing kind of, I think, will be dependent on their belief in the Cat and D'Lo, Cat, D'Lo, and Malik kind of threesome of how potent that can be offensively. And by all accounts, it seems like they believe it can be very, very elite. And Gerson has said there's a reason that Josh Okogie and Jarrett Culver are still on this team. He said that right. after, after the trade. Right. Yeah, and that, that's the implication there. Um, <laughs> I would hope so anyway. <laughs> I just, yeah, it, it to, to me, to, I guess just to, to put a bow on it, to me, it's just, it's hard to picture them both being on the team in a successful capacity, given I just wouldn't want to have two players who are so one-sided in, in that sort of way. Okay, um, so let's play GM. Okay. Okay. Uh, you have long stated, and I think it's it's getting to be a little bit more credible um, as things go along, that um, Gerson will be very active before the draft. Uh, he's got two very interesting assets. Gerson has said this much as one of the reasons your credibility has gone up, is Gerson has basically said, hey, you know, he's intimated that I, 
we we've got some assets that aren't necessarily going to be draft picks and he's got such a uh a timeline for this team now that is so young that the idea of bringing in guys who are a year or two or three years younger than that timeline make no sense versus guys who are a year or two or three older than that timeline so with all that said and with the idea that i agree with that okogi and culver are redundant to a, a significant degree unless one of them gets much better um how do you make the package and who do you go for well so there's just limit if he has in fact intimated that there are non-draft pick assets on this team to be moved and we assume that cat and delo are bolted down then we're basically left to assume it's one of four things a kogi and culver or a sign and trade of Malik and or Wancho. Oh, no, I would say Okogi and Culver paired with either the the theoretical three or the theoretical, you know, 22. Sure. Um, and so, like, for example, let's say we both think that Culver is less desirable than Okogi in the long run or perhaps more desirable to other teams, yeah. however you want to work it. Um, I was looking at rosters a little while ago. I really like Derek White of San Antonio. Sure. Um, um, there's somebody, I think he's got another year that's cheap on his deal. Um, so kind of in the same salary range of what Okogi would be looking at now in terms of what you're going to be going for. Um, what about like something like Culver and the 22nd pick for, for Derek White? Yeah, I mean, I, it's just... I think the interesting part is like what what is Culver? What would Culver's value be? And I think a couple of right. And I don't really know that either. But if you're a team, and I mean, quite frankly, this draft class is just not very good. So in theory, the sixth overall pick, one year removed, if you were to go out and acquire him, would kind of be like the equivalent of acquiring one of the top players in this draft, right? And San Antonio is a very smart organization. I mean. If they, and they let their players shoot Culver, mid-range jump shots, huh? And they let their players shoot mid-range jump shots. Like, yes, I, which that's Culver my do. I think I think Jerk Culver is a better basketball player in a different type of system. I think this system is best for the Timberwolves, like built around Cat and D'Lo in this way. I think I think Jerk Culver would fit more in a. I don't mean this in a pejorative sort of way, but like a more right. antiquated type system, like quite like the you know like the Spurs where. Right. I mean, I remember I, I asked Ryan about it a couple of times. Remember when Jarrett was kind of on that run and, you know, I just had gone back and watched his shots and I was like, man, there's like a handful of Jarrett creating off the dribble and shooting mid-range short of jump shots. And I was like, yeah, you know, is this kind of in any way to sort of get him comfortable, get him going? And Ryan was like, no, that's not by design. <laughs> and I was like, okay, noted. So I, you, I don't know. I mean, I, when we had that little uh, happy hour thing, which I thought was – tragic comical myself but uh <laughs> the uh you know we got invited the wolves media got invited to deal with the uh the the wolves uh the pr people and then some of the brass uh, chimed in just as a background for people listening but um um and now i forgot what i was going to say what were you talking about Dirk culver i don't know oh, oh yeah, no ryan about, you asked um, ryan something you asked uh, ryan uh, Ryan said the one thing he got tired of 
uh, we, I asked him on this, said, you know, is there anything, you know, or maybe what questions did you really get sick of? And, uh, and Ryan said, uh, one Zoom or whether we were going to tweak it. And he said, run the system. And, and so uh, that color question <laughs> from you is an example of that. You know, are you going to start shooting mid-range with Jared Culver? No, that's not our system. Our system is well. not to do that. <laughs> and so they're not going to start uh, doing this stuff. And so Derek White, for example, I mean, I don't know why I pulled him out, but uh, oh, sure. he just struck me as the person, if you, if you want to punt a, a, a first round pick who's not a lottery pick uh, to get rid of the redundancy of Okogie and Culver, get somebody who is still relatively cheap, who's a little bit further on the timeline, who is a decent defender who shoots like 36% from deep, um, that would be a deal that I could envision. Who knows if the Spurs would laugh at, you know, laugh at that. Right. But I think the Spurs have to start thinking about retooling and they've already got Murray tied up for big money. Uh, so, you know, I, I think they'd be willing to part with a combo guard if they could bring a little more size in, in Culver and, and perhaps somebody who's got, they do have, they do have redundant, a different type of redundancy kind of at the point guard type of position. Cause they're right. also starting Bryn Forbes a bunch this year. Right. Exactly. Like, and Murray and, and white, like white kind of popped off in the playoffs and then was like back to a. Exactly. A but I think what we saw in the playoffs, it was kind of exciting. Yeah, no, for sure. I guess the, the, the pattern I've more looked for or not pattern, but outline for, for a trade is is using James Johnson as a kind of human trade exception to kind of get up to his salary level. Mm-hmm. And and so then once you have his sixteen million in there, you can now kind of start playing around in the fifteen to you know up to twenty five million range if you throw in a Culver and a Kogi there too. And to me, I think I think that's that range of money, that like kind of 17 to 23 million dollar range like kind of turns up an interesting batch of players uh-huh. who who are they're now they're, it's a lot of guys who are right on that second contract they've signed kind of like Zach Levine right he wasn't paid like a superstar right. yeah but but you know what I'm saying like a, yeah a I, know, 20, I know what you're saying right a 24 year old yeah well, we do not want to overpay for people like that but but so now what it's it's hard to say like any of those guys in that range are of value right exactly and and so so like somehow with no cap they're a lower cap exactly so so what i'm saying is i don't think it would be they wouldn't for another team to trade a a zach levine a miles turner an aaron gordon a dennis schroeder a karis lavert a guy like that those players aren't massive assets to their current team because they're making close to 20 million dollars they might like those players but those players carry a burden of a hefty salary, even if it's a salary that they're worth. So, so kind of like I, I wrote a thing where I threw out a whole bunch of different names and teams were like, you know, some people responding on it, like, oh, why in the world would, why in the world would the Pacers give up Miles Turner? Why in the world would the Nets give up Karis LeVert? And it's like, well, yeah, they can still really like those players and still deem it wise to move on from them. And, 
and that's kind of my point is I don't know. Obviously, I don't know what the Brooklyn Nets think of Karis LeVert or the magic right. of Aaron Gordon, whatever. But there's enough dudes out there like that in that range who are also the same age as Carl, D'Angelo, and Malik that it just it seems to make sense that you're getting another guy to throw into that into that court because you look at this roster, this Wolves roster is all 22 to 26-year-olds. So but, I think it would make a lot of sense. I guess my pushback on that is uh, locker room isn't everything. But if you have Cat and D'Lo as the locker room leaders, I think you're in trouble. I don't think that's a great pairing. Um, so you want to keep James Johnson for leadership? Well, I mean, uh, I think James Johnson – is a great regulator. He's somebody who can keep people's spirits up. Um, there's not going to be people, you know, snickering into their clothes as they get dressed, as they hear some quotes being given to the media, uh, you know, by others. Uh, and so I think that, um, I think James Johnson brings respect to some extent. Uh, he certainly, Ryan and Gerson both love him. I don't think that's uh, a smokescreen. Um, I think that the reason I am happy to get rid of him is because he's, you know, um, he's a year rental. If he, you know, he's going to take his option, obviously 16 million or whatever it is, is, you know, he's not going to get paid that on the open market anywhere else. So he's going to be getting there. Um, but again, I see it as a placeholder on the court where I see him most valuable as as the veteran in the locker room who could call bullshit sometimes on people when they need it and also i mean we don't know what cat's going to be like as a leader next year um uh and we also don't know um you know delo's reputation is not leadership material thus far i don't know from what i've seen and dealt with them he seems like a, a, a pretty interesting, a smart dude, but um, you know, he's got guy culture, uh, different deals, you know? So I, again, I know um, how Cat and D'Lo running a locker room would fare, um, especially when you got guys like, you know, like Beasley or some other folks who have played on other teams. Um, and you got guys like Okogie who basically said, you know, um, James Johnson, he, t he tells me, you know, to, to jump off a cliff, you know, where is it, you know, or whatever. I mean, so um, that would be the only pushback I have on the James Johnson exception as as a way to unlock another potential game changer. Then the question becomes, well, does an Aaron Gordon or, you know, Carrot Levert become a leadership guy? Um, you know, again, that's I so think all of that, you're playing with fire on all of that stuff. I mean, you know, that's not... Um, well, you're already dealing with kind of fire, though, from a leadership perspective of like, as you pointed out with D'Angelo and Carl, they haven't shown those to be skills yet thus far in their career. Now they're 24 year olds. It's certainly a skill that could be developed to some degree. I just think like by pairing them together, you've decided they're the leaders. And that just like is what it is. And like, yeah, like James Johnson could call bullshit or somebody else could could come in and like be a Udonis Haslam or something. Right. But at the end of the day, this is Cat and Delo's team in that way. Well, and... that's pretty scary then. Well, yeah, I, I agree. Because, I mean, uh, they do, they, you know, 
you need to play defense. If you can't play defense, you can't talk a lot in the locker room unless you're, you know, Kobe Bryant, you know, pass playing defense or whoever. I mean, you know, Carmelo Anthony, I guess. But I never heard Carmelo Anthony being like the voice of God in a locker room. And part of it is he didn't play defense. So, um, you know, I mean, that's a bad look. Uh, it, it seems like a fairly enormous flaw in the grand strategy. Uh, if, if you've got two guys who are historically bad defenders uh, running your locker room, and they're also peers, you know, they don't have a lot of NBA experience. Um, so, so let's just do the devil's advocate on this one too. Okay. Carl um, is, he had some maturity steps to take and he, he hits those in stride, you know, instigated by the tragedy that he's going on in his yes. life. And, and he grows up faster than he should have, you know, needed to. Okay. And, and it's like, you know, taking shit seriously day one. Right. And, and then, you know, I was really thinking about this dur- during John's story that I was reading on D'Angelo this week of like, you know, there, there might be something to the whole notion of he's been, he's been dragged around the entirety of his career. Yeah. He's been and, traded three, three times. And, and, you know, part of that is self-inflicted, but at the same time, like I'm reading that and I just started like picturing in my head, you know, the, the times we were in the locker room with him and he was just like quiet and just seemed a little scorned. Uh-huh. And, and I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I can't ever see him being like the puffed your chest out leader, but if he stops just, being where his feet are and like digging into the ground, I think, I think he could be more solid of a, maybe, I don't know. He could be something a little bit more than what, you know, he's, he's been known as. And then, and then the idea is it's the cocktail together of Carl and D'Angelo. And we've talked about this before. Like we've expressed concern about those personality types, but also, as you mentioned, you know, they're younger than us. They're different than us. Like even yes. me, like those guys are a different, they're a different age bracket. Like their culture of cool and normal is very different than me. And, and I don't, I don't totally, I don't totally get it. And I don't know, maybe the thing is, is the people they're going to be working with are other 20 year olds, you know? And if, if they're, if D'Angelo Russell is this cool dude in the eyes of every 20 year old, which it really seems like he is, Maybe that's going to carry some clout and carry some weight. And like, no, like Josh Okoge, you fall like fall in line to me because I'm cool and people follow cool people. Like, I don't know if that's too like existential or anything, but I think there is there's some sort of weird path to be taken there. I think. Well, I think you're gambling. Obviously, you're. you're well, what's the alternative? You're, you're, you're trying to fill an inside straight here. Um, you know, you're basically saying, all right, I've got five, six, and nine. <laughs> if seven and eight get drawn on this next two cards, I'm golden. And um, I get it. I actually think there's there's a – first of all, let me say, I don't know D'Angelo Russell. I do know Carl Anthony Towns, and he's a good dude. I mean, he is a – For sure. He's a great human being in many respects he's got some personality quirks that i find i've criticized them quite quite frequently um and and i do worry about his stature 
because of some of those quirks in the locker room, you know, his tendency to uh, speak as if everything is being refracted. Uh, um, there's a there's a level of um, there's a public persona about Carl that does not seem uh, sincere. I guess is the best way to put it, or, or seems overly considered. Um, but Cat, in my view, um, put up a lot and handled it relatively well during the Jimmy Butler season. Um, and I thought he came out of that pretty well. Um, but then you have a situation where, you know, we're not supposed to remember that it was less than a year ago that teamwork and love and the Bahamas vibe was going to be what carried this team all the way through. At the end of the season, they had the third worst record in the NBA and almost everybody was gone. I mean, you know, don't feed me bullshit and then expect me not to remember it. So, uh, you know, last year was a lot of bullshit. And so um, you need adults in that locker room and you need people on that court who play defense. Our dude, from everything I've read about him, um, he's good. I also think they're really tight. But in the one game they played, they had a little bit of difficulty sharing the ball, I thought. I thought that Cat really, you know, wanted those shots at the end of the game. Uh, you know, I, I think there's some sorting out to do. I would just feel better if we didn't flip the keys to the franchise in the locker room to two guys who need to prove that they can be better leaders than they've been thus far. And we also need to see either a defensive strategy or some players who maximize a strategy or maximize their teammates. Um, look, you know, the February trading deadline where you had, uh, you were able to get D'Angelo Russell and punt Andrew Wiggins in the same two or three day period was miraculous. <laughs> what was lost was Robert Covington. And Robert Covington is a great defender and a great teammate who can also hit a three. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, that's a pretty cool trifecta. and. He was somebody with some credibility in that locker room, in part because Covington was such a cool person himself, but part of it also was is that Towns became more naturally in his own skin. And Towns in his own skin, without trying to be something he's not, is a better leader. And I don't know if he's going to have that. I don't know if he and D'Lo have that same dynamic. So... You know, I mean, if they're friends, if they are friends, it should, right? If they're, if it's they're a actually kind of friendship, though. I think I'm not yeah. sure it's that kind of friendship, right? You know, I always Roko talk Roko and Cat. I think a lot of it was the friendship came because um, it was Big Cat Brother, was Little Brother, wounded by Butler. Butler was gone. Here comes this guy who not only is really cool into him in the locker room, but makes him look so much better on the court on defense. Um, and so, again, will D'Lo and Cat make each other look much better? Uh, certainly on some pick and roll actions and certainly on some offensive sets. But when it comes to be the fourth quarter 
and you know who's going to get the ball and why. And when it comes to um, one of the two not being 100% on defense, does the other guy say, hey, time to start playing defense? Or when Malik Beasley isn't playing defense, does either one of those players say to Beasley, hey, start playing defense? Um, can they? I mean, are they in a position to? Um, these are gaping holes for a franchise, you know? For me, you know, the what I think is going to happen, not what I want to happen, whatever it is, right. is I think it is going to be a constant turnover roster turnover that is going to be coming and you're going to be flipping the panels of this turns into that turns into this turns into that and i think i think that the trade deadline was just the first couple flippings of the panel uh-huh and because what what you are describing is right but it is also an immense amount of things that are needed and they're not going to just be able to fill in all of those holes in one draft in one free agency in one thing it's why i've said from the beginning is what you felt at the trade deadline, the chaos of all that, the the fantasy football vibe of it, like get ready for more of that. I think that will be every trade time, whether that's the draft, the offseason, the trade deadline, the Wolves are going to be active because their path to getting to where they want to be from a roster standpoint requires so many flippings of assets for different types of assets and they also believe that in every one of those deals that they're getting back a dollar and five cents for every dollar that they trade out. So I just think it's like, it's why I said at the beginning of this pod, it's not twenty, it's not the 2020 season. That's not the way I see it. There's going to be massive holes in it, and we're going to talk about them at the time. The, I, the idea, I think, is that they have three more times to make trades to draft players to do things so that come 2021 when it's the big off season and they can go out and try and get a name like a real name that then they bring that guy in at that time I think it's literally just going to be a shuffle until we get to that point and it's going to be frustrating in the process okay I don't think that's a, a an unlikely scenario I think you make a good case for that my first reaction to it is um does Gerson Rosas think that Carl Anthony Towns is his chip or not? Is he James Harden? Um, is he Chris Paul? You know, in other words, someone right. who is a really good chip but expendable if the other chip happens to be better. And where does D'Angelo Russell fit into that? I mean, right now you've got, um, let's say you've got four and five star and three star guys. You got right now what I would regard as a four star and perhaps a three and a half star guy uh, in terms of I think Cat would probably be, you know, uh, all star most seasons, but fringe all star and Dilo, uh would need to have a, a, a step up to be an all star. These are not having a revolving Um, now, you know, Gerson has gone out of his way to praise Cat up and down, built everything around Cat offensively and initially defensively in some ways to hide him and has gone out of his way to say nothing but great things about Cat. And we know what he thinks about D'Lo. I mean, he's put his reputation on the line numerous times as a dealer dealer to acquire D'Lo and then had a, basically a press conference 
strut after he got D'Lo. So um, if these guys are not your foundational pieces, um, that's going to be an interesting cultural change going on. Um, you know, I mean, can you get a guy in this 21 uh, season that suddenly renders Cat and D'Lo somewhat diminished in the pecking order? Uh, that's going to be a fascinating dynamic in and of itself if that happens. And if you're not, then what kind of guys are you going to be putting on the panel that is going to make this team appreciably better? The other thing Gerson has said all along is that we will take the utmost care of players and they will feel they're loved family. and like family when they're in still Minnesota. Family. Right. I get that. Right. You, you know what I'm saying? And so yep. he's like, but there is a limit to that. You know, you turn over 80% of your roster and family is a punchline. Um, especially if it happens three or four more times. No, then you really you're missing what I'm getting family. At. You know, it's kind of like the, the guy who's <laughs> been divorced four times saying, you know, I love all my family. Yeah, well, okay. My my point is my point is is that it could be two years from now and D'Angelo Russell is traded and what Gerson Rosas would say is for the two years he was here, we were all in totally behind him and supported him as one of the faces of our franchise. And we had an opportunity to go out and get player X and we d- decided that that was an opportunity we needed to know we do like okay, I okay. just but that's not total support. I know it's not. I'm okay, not. I'm right, not arguing I mean, that it is. I'm not arguing bullshit. that it is. It's, it's bullshit. It is. So yeah. I mean, if if we're going to basically say that, if I could see it's bullshit, then how eventually are the players going to start to see this? You can't say he's been here two years and man, we we hugged him and squeezed him every step of the way. You know, and I, I don't know if that's what it's going to be. Russell gets traded for a fourth time, but he's still a member of our family. We just found somebody better, so he had to be replaced. I mean, you can't have it both ways. I understand that Rosas has got a golden tongue in that respect and, and was able to kind of pass off the idea that this is a, a, a family franchise or whatever. And even as he basically raised the team and then uh, – in a rare moment of just saying, I'm claiming this, drop the mic moment. When did you know your team was insufficient? May 1st. I mean, you know, all those guys that, you know, I, I basically said all these nice things about it. And, and, you know, we had that Bahamas vibe. You know, I wanted to get rid of 90% of them the day I was saying that <laughs> stuff. You know, I mean, no, that's I, the way it is. But but I kind of get it from from his I get perspective it too, too. But that doesn't mean we have to sit there and go, "Oh yeah, right, 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 right." Yeah, fascinating. Yeah, right. <laughs> Beautiful, so, you know. I, and I'm not saying it, D'Lo or Cat or whoever is going to be traded two years from now. I'm just saying what has happened in the first twelve months of this process right. has signaled that anything is possible. And quite frankly, for me, I think if you're going to ever, what was what was your line about? It took God seven days to make the world, and it might take longer than that yeah, for yeah, Gerson right. Rosas to, to. Yeah, I mean, it is an impossible task. And Rosas loves I'm... to say, we are trying to do something that's never been done, as if, like, yes. you know. Right. You know. And I'm just saying, it for him, if he does achieve the goal of doing the thing that's never been done before, I bet there's going to be 
a lot of things along the way that you're gonna you're gonna sniff it like that and you go, well, that was just because you're gonna remember. You're gonna be like, oh, I remember you said this 12 months ago. So does that make this bullshit right now? And it's like the thing is, is he's not just communicating to you. He's com- you know communicating to everyone. And in his head, he just goes, you know, I don't want it to be bullshit. But this is the way we build a champion. Exactly. And I I think that you are exactly right in what you were saying. But that gets back to what I'm saying, which is how do you finesse this stuff? I mean, at what point does Cat know, you know, that yep. if he can get Jokic, let's just say that Rosas thinks Jokic is better, is an upgrade, you know? Um, then, you know, is Cat still family when he goes to Denver? You know, I mean, I, you know, it, it it's... The best thing that ever happened was when Covington came back and he came and sat at the game next to him. Robert Covington is is gold, man. I'll tell you, that guy, they love him in Houston, and they should, you know. And um, he's in the middle of a, a very, very – you talk about trying to fill an inside straight. Trying to win an NBA championship without a guy over 6'9 is, <laughs> is pretty fascinating. Uh, yeah. But, um, you know – Covington has always been one of my favorite players since since I was able to watch him the last two seasons. And it's just, it is, I, I go back to the way that you get the long cherished dream of getting D'Angelo Russell and unloading your biggest albatross, Andrew Wiggins, at the same time is to, to you know, part with somebody who, was the epitome of what you wanted from one position in your franchise. Um, you know, Jake Lehman maybe and so uh, you know, and, and the, the combination of you know James Johnson and Jake Lehman or you know somebody else at the four, um, you know, whoever it is, uh, it's it, it's gonna leave a hole. And and that remains on balance. I think we talked about this at a pod right after it happened. I had to give it up to him. And as big of a Covington guy as I was, being able to get Russell and to lose Wiggins yeah. was worth sacrificing Covington. And, and, and I, I mean, have don't... to say that. It's a really, yeah. it's a bitch, yeah. but I have to say that. Okay. But now that's been done. And so now we're looking at this team doesn't have any quality defenders and they have a, I think a problem in their locker room um, in terms of, I mean, if, if, if they get rid of James Johnson, I just don't know how they don't make the steps they need to make. And this idea of building on the fly, building on the fly, building on the fly. Um, Carl Anthony Towns was saying, I've lived in chaos <laughs> two years ago a year and a half ago um you know winning matters and the way to win is to have players who are buying into a system that they know will work for them and are are really trying to 
be the best they can be at both ends of the court. Um, the Timberwolves have gaping questions in terms of how they scheme their defense and how they get players to defend. And when you finish 29th in defensive rating without Carl Anthony Towns on the floor, um, you know, which is also a suggestion that James Johnson may not be the Swiss Army knife answer for everything that's going to happen, um, then, you know, you've got, you've got issues. And I am not a Tibbs guy in retrospect. Uh, I mean, we both know Andy at Punch Drunk, uh, uh, who is a Tibbs guy, who makes decent points of what was this team before everything got raised and are the Wolves better off now? Um, you can make an argument that they are, but you can make a pretty good argument that they're not. And so... I think um, it's very dependent on your Andrew Wiggins opinion, but yeah. And very dependent on whether or not Jimmy Butler could ever exist oh, here. Sure. Yeah. If you, you know, if you punted somebody, you know, if yeah. you punted either Wiggins or Towns or whatever, you know, if you made that... Um, you know, that decision. But that's, again, that's that's not my point. <laughs> my greater point is what's looking, what we need to look at as we look at the upcoming draft, roster, uh, the post-virus landscape of the NBA is that the Wolves have decided to invest in two really, really uh uniquely talented offensive players that who are you know one is could be a generational talent and the other one could be uh a great um you know facilitator of that whole thing but to do that you've got you've got holes couldn't agree with you more i mean the the, the the maneuverability and the chess versus checkers mindset of the current administration and the way that they have pretty much totally uh, gotten blank check in terms of both money and silence from Glenn Taylor. Um, all of that is really important. And they, they do have the possibility of seeing what they're going to be able to do. Uh, one of the things I did um, after uh, the NBA got blown up, um, I'm doing this story for the Sahan Journal, which is a local immigrant publication here in town. And um, my good friend Jennifer Vogel uh, connected me up with this group. And they want a story on Gerson Rosas. So I interviewed him about being an immigrant. That'll come out, I think, sometime next week. But um, I got to talk to him about the Dallas experience. Oh, wow. He spent 90 days in Dallas. He was the first Latino to run a basketball team. And he gave that up because he didn't have enough control. Um, and he was running a team that had recently won a championship just a few years before and still had some really good pieces. Um, this is a guy who's going to do what he does. And that's why the, the thing I, I mentioned the other day in that confab, I asked the brass, you know, is Gerson as dominant as he looks uh, from to those of us on the outside? 
Of course, no one wanted to answer that question. I didn't really <laughs> expect them to, but I oh, did want to pose it. Um, just because I, I think going forward, you're right to say that what Gerson decides to do is what will happen. And, and it will be active. He is no shrinking violet. And he will, he will mess with this team if he needs to mess with it. And any sane person would say that he needs to mess with it right now. And I, and I, and I, amen. I, and I, I, I respect it. Uh, and I, I think he's, I think he's very competent. Really you know? competent. And, Except when and, it comes to drafting Jared Culver. Yeah. And I, and you know what? I, we all make quite, mistakes. Right. Right. I, I just think comparatively to the rest of the league, the people in those roles, he's very competent. That doesn't absolve him from, from things for us to call bullshit on or, or whatever. I mean, my, our job. I, right. yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm honest in that I'd say like, this is the first time and following this organization forever that I've ever really believed in the front office. Right. And, and that's just, that's just my assessment on it. Yeah, it's and mine I think, too, actually. And the, I, I don't know. I, I think that's a way bigger compliment than it is derogatory to call any of the other stuff out too. So, so I, you know, I, I believe well, it. He's, in, he's I'm, still on probation. I mean, you know, he's had a year. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm fascinated to track it, man. I think I really, it's going to be like one of these things that takes so much parsing for us to even just fast forward a year from now, we're going to be like, okay, so let's think back to that first May 1st day, that roster, what did he do here and there? I mean, we're going to have to get a whole flow chart out of all these different things because it's, it's going to be a blur. There's just going to be so many things that only the people who really dig in to look at it are going to, are going to be able to, to notice. But I, I trust his batting average on it. I think, I think he'll have, have more hits than misses and, and while I'm, I'm quick especially to call, if he can keep his people. That's big, yeah. Uh, like Sashin and stuff in the right. in the front office, right? Yeah. Sashin and Robbie, and I mean, and I got to tell you, and we've hammered this many times, but it, I think it never hurts to keep bringing it up. What the hell that Iowa Wolves experiment? I mean, uh, yeah. How in the world, you know? Five or six guys we'd never heard of before, or vaguely heard of, come in and play as well as most of you know this the serviceable right. NBA players that you know were were kicking around. I mean, point. Jordan McLaughlin, uh, you know, what a story. Nas Reed, I mean, I I think they're they're really drinking the Kool Aid on Nas Reed. He may turn out to be good. But man, they they think he might be something. Um, but he's already miles ahead of what I thought he would be, especially as an undrafted rookie. So anybody who's been, you know, doing the stuff that it took to both assemble that team in Iowa and then coach that team in Iowa, they had a much better idea of what the system was than most of the people who were up with the main club for most of the season. I, it it certainly was more successful. <laughs> I think there's there's complicating factors once you start bringing in personality NBA personalities compared True. to G League personalities, right. and that that might be it. Um, well, you know, I, I wanted to I wanted to talk a little bit more about 
about D'Angelo also, but let's do another one of these, maybe if we do have some sort of announcement. Sure. Um, and then we can we can kind of go into how long if we know there's actual basketball. We've been going for about an hour twenty. So yeah, that's our usual. Yeah, that, that's fine. usual. So, and quite frankly, I have to go to the bathroom. So well, there you go. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate you, Britt. Um, we'll we'll do this again sometime soon, and hopefully we have basketball and a distraction. And yeah, I look forward to to reading you when you're back at the athletic or whatever your next or wherever, tweet, right? Will you, will you actually tweet out your article for the Sahan journal? So we yeah, can read I probably it? will. I mean, cause yeah. I, I, I owed it to him for a while. I was thinking about getting a second source cause it's pretty much a single source story right now, but um, you know, it's good stuff. He's every time I talk to Gerson, he gives me good stuff. So, yeah. uh, you know, I, mean, I did that Vanderpool piece. He's the one that, you know, the quote that, locked it is our defensive strategy is preventing everything we're trying to do on offense right. no one had ever broken it down into like 12 <laughs> words like that and it, yeah. it it basically reorganized my season you know yeah so uh you know uh whenever i can get the chance uh i'll take it that's Britt robson at Britt robson on twitter Britt will do this again i'm dane at Den- dane more mba thank you everyone for sticking with us and um all the support We'll be back. Keep turning on some podcasts. So until then, peace out. How I'm feeling, man. I hope it never stops. Yeah. Green and hot, so you can find me in the crowd. Yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever ever bring you down. Yeah. Hope you dancing like nobody else around. Yeah.